This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Okay, my Shein package just came in. So I'm going to take everything I got. I got a lot of stuff. This is TikTok user Lily Gabriel in a video from February of 2022. She's sitting on a bedroom floor with a box she bought from the ultra-fast fashion website Shein. And she's holding each item up to the camera one by one. This is a leather oversized jacket. Smells like fish. We love Shein. Then I got this like satin blue button-up shirt that I'm going to wear off the shoulder. So I get this little bralette top that I'm going to wear underneath the blue satin button-up top. And then this is just a Fashion haul videos like this one are all over social media. The low price point means consumers can buy a lot of clothes for very little. And they can buy them very often. But they're not really good quality clothes, are they? Cheap fabrics, poor construction. Well... As you might guess if you're a regular listener to this program, we are endlessly interested in how technology, social media, and capitalism are shaping our behavior and perceptions of reality. And the question really pops up in surprising places, including the world of clothing, everything from daily wear to brand name fashion. Consider Sydney Green, a Gen Z On Point listener from Maine. I don't know where to find clothes that are quality. Um, I would love to find clothing that is more higher quality, that would last me a longer time. I don't even know where to, where to go, what stores to go to to find those items. We're going to hear more about Sydney's dilemma later in the show. But our guest today takes things one step further. She recently posted a provocative thread on Twitter and... To be honest, it feels weirdly appropriate that an hour about social media and reality was inspired by a social media post. But the thread says, hot take. Most Gen Z consumers don't even know what quality fashion looks and feels like. Well, Danielle Vermeer posted that. She's the creator of the secondhand fashion newsletter Goodwill Hunting, and she joins us today. Danielle, welcome to On Point. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Okay, so your hot take really got a lot of attention <laughs> on, yes. on Twitter. I'd love to actually, in a sense, go through the thread post by post to to unpack, to unravel what you've said. Mm-hmm. Unravel. Wow. I did not mean to use a textile pun there. But um, <laughs> right. so let's define quality fashion first. How would you define what, mm-hmm. what that even is? For quality fashion, there's elements of both objective and subjective measures. So, for example, objectively, there could be a quality garment that has great durability. It lasts a long time. Or there's great workmanship, the craftsmanship, the garment construction, the functionality of the materials and the material composition are higher quality. And then there's also subjective characteristics. It's the the look and the feel, um, how it wears over time, the aesthetics, the creativity, all of those combined create a higher quality or the inverse, a lower quality garment. Okay. So with that definition on the table, then your thread goes on to, first of all, point a finger at, um, you know, the fast fashion industry, but one company in particular, Shein. Now for the olds amongst us, I include myself in that category. Mm -hmm. What is Shein and why did you, uh, why did you particularly focus on that company? Sure. Shein is an ultra-fast fashion brand. So millennials grew up with Forever 21, H&M, as fast fashion of 
rather than having two seasons a year, there's 10 seasons, 16 seasons. Sheehan takes it to a completely new level, pumping out 52-plus seasons a year and about 10 times more items than the next three fast fashion brands combined, H&M, Boohoo, and Zara. Ten times more than all of those combined? Yes. So that's research from Business of Fashion, and it really points to the speed and scale that has accelerated in fast fashion, creating this new category of ultra fast fashion. So you have a, a, a graphic from Business of Fashion on, in your thread, and it says a number of new styles added in the U.S. to the to the company's various websites. Year to date, so this was last year, so I guess the 12 months of 2022, uh, and Shein, according to Business of Fashion, uh, added almost 315,000 new items in one year? That's right. Those are new styles. New so styles. There is okay. some nuance where one of Sheehan's approaches is to do smaller batches, so really testing this more on-demand model of scraping social media, what's trending, what styles are new and fresh, creating small batches based on that consumer demand and signal, and then pumping them out faster and faster to really get that uh, newness to consumers faster than almost any brand can do right now. Okay, so you said scraping social media here, meaning they have, I don't know, their own, I don't know if it's, they're using people or uh, computers, I guess, to, to go out and like look continuously for stuff that's popping on social media and then churning stuff, out, churning new styles out based on that in, it feels like in a matter of days. Is that That's what you're describing. Mm-hmm. There's definitely more of a social listening aspect, whereas traditional fashion industry has been very top-down. The brands, uh, luxury houses, they create these two-seasons capsules typically, and then that trickles down into mid-tier and mass fashion. Sheen is really turning that model on its head to see what are consumers interested in. Let's do these small batches to start and then ramp up if there's greater demand. In, in theory, that's great because you're having less waste. And Sheehan does uh, report that they have less than 1% of unsold inventory, whereas in the fashion industry overall, the average is between 25 and 40 percent. So a lot of overstock. And I think we as consumers see that with all these end of season sales, markdowns, clearance racks that are overfilled with things that people just didn't buy. And while on demand is a great start, there's still a size and scale of how much you are creating as a brand like Shein that frankly, is pretty low quality and is not built to last. I see. Now, we should note that Shein was uh, founded back in 2008 uh, by Chris Xu. It's a Chinese ultra-fast fashion uh, retailer. And I'm seeing here that according to uh, some analysis, it may be the world's largest fashion retailer now? It's very possible. It has grown astronomically, and there are many others trying to replicate that success. Okay. So... Then, in terms of understanding, sort of as I as I put it earlier in the show, this almost uh, triangle of social media, uh, fashion, and um, and capitalism, and how those are working together to, in in your your eyes, prevent or stop people from even recognizing quality. Um, you go to what you call issue number one, and that's accessibility. What do you mean by that? 
Exactly. So accessibility incorporates both price and affordability, but also things like size inclusivity, keeping up with trends, convenience. And then after I've read thousands of comments, particularly from Shein shoppers on social media, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, they also bring up things like nihilism, which is really interesting from a consumer insights perspective, almost to say, well, the world is already burning. So why can't I look cute and buy this $3 top from Shein or from somewhere else? But the biggest ones in terms of accessibility are, where do you even find quality fashion? And can you afford it? Will it fit me? Will it actually be something that I like and that's cute? And for many younger consumers, Gen Z in particular, they have not been exposed to quality fashion and don't have a ton of access to it yet. And that would be because um, quality quality has gone down in other sort of mainstay brands as well. Uh, so we'll, we'll come back to that. This isn't just an ultra-fast fashion problem. But can we just go another moment to what you said about the nihilistic quality of some of this purchasing? I mean, if the – think that that's actually quite – depressing and heart heartbreaking to me the idea that people are saying well you know we we're we're feeling like we're living on a planet of doom anyway so let's go down looking good is just that's is that are they, do folks really feel that way do you think scanning through these threads and other insights it's one of the reasons where there's a lot of pressure that gen z feels where they feel like the weight of the world is on their shoulders, that they have to be the ones to fix some of these world issues. But they also have grown up as digital natives, being bombarded and immersed in social media. And that's why, according to ThreadUp, one in three of Gen Z feel addicted to fast fashion, and one in five feel pressured to keep up with the latest trends and buy, 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 because they see it, they are engaging with it every day on social media. And so they feel these really negative emotions like guilt and feeling addicted, feeling pressure. And that is not what I think fashion should be about. I think fashion should be a vehicle for self-expression, creativity. It should be fun. It should be feel good. And I don't think feeling guilty or addicted is something that uh, we should support. Mm. Okay, so you say issue number two is just the reality of textile manufacturing these days, that the the majority of new uh, clothes are made with man-made materials. We've got about a minute left uh, before our first break here, Danielle, but go ahead. Tell, mm-hmm. us, tell us why that's important. Yeah, from Bloomberg Research, about 60% of new textile production now is polyester. And that's because polyester is a cheaper material than natural fibers like cotton or wool. And as a reminder, polyester is a plastic-derived material, and plastic ultimately comes from oil, from petroleum. And so while polyester is cheaper and it's more flexible, it can be woven into many different types of fabrics, by and large, it's less durable and less quality than natural fibers. Yeah, and you have this really compelling uh, graph here that says what I, I would say roughly after 1990, the amount of polyester being used in uh, in new clothing kind of starts skyrocketing. Really, while co- right. cotton, cellulose, and polypropylene stay roughly the same. So today we are talking about how technology, social media, and capitalism are shaping our behavior and perceptions of reality. 
through clothing. Danielle Vermeer is with us today. We'll have more in a moment. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And today we are exploring how technology, social media, and capitalism are shaping our behavior and perceptions of reality. And we're using the example of Gen Z culture and fast fashion to explore that question. And Danielle Vermeer joins us today. She is the creator of the fashion newsletter Goodwill Hunting. And we'll talk more about uh, Danielle's own uh, clothing buying habits in in a few minutes. So, But Danielle, let's uh, pick up on the the issues that you lay out in in this Twitter thread about the where you assert that Gen Z doesn't even recognize know how to recognize quality clothing. You talk about something called hall culture. What is that? Hall culture is what you see all over TikTok. So for example, Shein Hall, that hashtag has almost 8 billion views. There are other halls, thrift halls even, which has two and a half billion views. And it's this idea of a creator showing a video of everything that they've gotten, usually massive amounts in a big bag or a big package. And it's something that contributes to this buy, 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 overconsumption mindset that Gen Z is being sold on. Uh, And so that two in five of Gen Z consumers have actually purchased a product after seeing it in one of these haul videos. Now, is it possible to know whether um, these are these content creators are being paid by the company or if the, these are clothes that they're just getting for free from, from Shein? What about the business aspect of that here? Mm-hmm. It depends. If it is a business relationship, it should be disclosed. But for many of them, it's a way to show off what they're wearing, show off their outfits. And because these brands, particularly fast fashion brands, are much cheaper, you can get a lot of stuff for pretty cheap. Okay. Now, you say in that same post, why pay $40 for a 100% cotton shirt when you can buy 10 shirts for $4 each? And then after all, for one in seven items, you will only wear it once. Where did that come from? That's research from CB Insights, where they asked consumers, particularly younger ones who shop fashion online, uh, what they think about re-wearing items, re-wearing an outfit. And one in seven said that they think it's a faux pas to wear the same thing that you post on social media more than once. 
So it's one and done for one in seven consumers. Hmm. Okay. So we have issue number four here. You call it dupe culture. And before before you explain it to us what it is, let's use an example. Uh, here's TikTok user Shelby Shea's video showing a dupe of Lululemon shorts that she bought at Walmart. These are Lululemon shorts. And these are from Walmart, completely unbranded. These are $60. These were like 12 to 15 I think. The drawstrings are the same. The pocket is the same. And the back stitching is also the same. So dupe culture, what is it and how does it play into this inability to recognize quality clothing? Sure. Dupe culture is what, you know, back in the day for millennials, we call them knockoffs. And then there were others that were more true counterfeit or fake products. But dupes are intended to be the cheaper lookalike options, inspired by often not completely identical, but enough to pass as equivalent aesthetic and quality. And so just like on whole culture, on social media, dupe culture is rampant and it inspires younger consumers who may not be able to afford the real thing. So in that example, the real $60 Lululemon shorts, but they can buy the $12 ones on Walmart. Okay. So you bring this all together. You say Gen Z doesn't understand quality fashion due to accessibility, manufacturing, haul, and dupe culture. And, you know, again, the, the, the framework that we're trying to understand this through is, again, is social media, technology, and capitalism as well. So in terms of clothing and quality, why does all this matter? I mean, if people are just in, enjoying wearing new fashions literally every day... Why should we be concerned? There's massive implications in terms of the environmental impact and also the cost. When you think about these very poor quality garments, it's essentially like throwing money away after wearing them a few times because you might have some vintage Forever 21 garment that you bought 15, 20 years ago. But the fast fashion then was even way better than it is now. And so are we going to have... Shein or new Zara products lasting more than a few washes, lasting 10, 15 years? Probably not. That's my bet. And they're going to end up where, right? <laughs> they will end up in a landfill or in the chain of donation to then liquidation, warehousing. But ultimately, it does 85% or so of clothing ends up in landfill. Huh. Okay. Well, Danielle, hang on here for just a minute because I want to bring another voice into the conversation. Mandy Lee joins us. Mandy's a freelance fashion writer and trend analyst, a content creator as well, and runs the Old Loser in Brooklyn account on TikTok and Instagram. Mandy, welcome to On Point. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm going to assert that you're not that old. <laughs> so. yeah, I'm in my 30s, so it depends on who you ask. <laughs> so first of all, respond to um, to what Danielle is putting forward here, that she says that, that uh, Gen Z doesn't, because of growing up in this culture of not just fast fashion, but social media as well, that uh, members of Gen Z don't even recognize what quality clothing is. Yeah, I mean, I really agree with a lot of what Danielle is saying, especially the research that she's bringing to the table. And I think the only thing that I've noticed in, you know, on my side of the business is it's not as much of a priority to Gen Z and to just consumers in general to prioritize quality. 
it may be a lack of knowing or recognizing what that is, but it's also not as much of a priority as it used to be. Okay, so tell me more about that, that there are other things that are more important to Gen Z consumers than the actual quality of the clothing. Mm -hmm. So again, what Danielle was saying about the accessibility factor in the price point for fast fashion, for example, that accessibility is very attractive and it creates this idea of abundance. You can buy a lot of things at one time with the same amount of money you would put towards a higher quality, you know, maybe one piece of clothing. And this sort of abundant mindset creates this almost revolving door mindset when it comes to your wardrobe, meaning I can replace pretty much everything in my wardrobe for a very low price. I'm going to just keep rotating in and out depending on what's trending or how my you know taste is evolving over time. And that I think is really part of the root cause in this sort of ever revolving cycle of buy, 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 throw away, or, you know, because garments made by Shein and other fast fashion retailers are not good quality, they may just disintegrate, literally disintegrate in the wash over time. Wow. Okay. So you just said something which is so compelling. You said that this sort of cycle is creating the idea of abundance. So the reason why I draw a line uh, bright or highlight that is because, again, we I don't know, me, this show on point, we're like really obsessed with how technology and social media and capitalism play together to, as I said at the top of the show, shape our perceptions of, of reality. So when you say creating an idea of abundance, does that mean that if... Um, if there were no social media now, I know that's a ridiculous question because this is a, a, a hypothetical, but that uh, we we wouldn't see the same kind of behavior with uh, with fashion? I don't think so, no. I think it plays a massive, massive role and is a huge driving factor in this you know, abundant mindset that we're talking about. And kind of what Danielle was talking about a little bit earlier about hall culture, these videos perform extremely well and they provide almost a polarizing, it's polarizing content. Some people may be very, very against it and, you know, add engagement, you know, comment like this is bad blah, blah, blah. So sort of that end. And then other people will like fight about it. So it creates this really polarizing piece of content. And then the user who has just purchased, you know, 20, 30 garments from Shein is getting a dopamine hit because their mentions and their notifications are blowing up because their video is going viral. These pieces of content perform very, very well. And it sort of reminds me of, you know, if you buy something online and you're waiting for it to come in the mail, you're kind of floating on this dopamine hit of getting something new. And it really reminds me of the same feeling as, you know, watching a video or an Instagram post or Twitter thread that you posted go viral as well. They're connected. And I feel like those feelings are very similar and have a lot of overlap. Wow. Okay. Danielle, I would love to hear what you think about this. I agree, Mandy. I think there's this dopamine hit and rush that, 
it feeds into that stat around Gen Z feeling addicted to fast fashion mm-hmm. and feeling like even though they know they want to, they're trying to shop more sustainably, they don't either know where to go or they don't know how to stop or they can't afford it. And I think that's a really negative cycle to get into that I'm on a mission to break. Okay. You know, so to be really fair, we're talking about um, a generation of Americans who um, they're not just digital natives. I feel like in a sense their their lives are digital first, right? Because um, they have been born into a world that was already extremely connected. They were very, very young when social media took off. And on top of that, it's not just ultra fast or fast fashion that has driven, um, you know, the desire for higher levels of consumption and lower quality goods and garments. I mean, we heard from a lot of people about how quality has just been going down everywhere. And one of them. uh, And so 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 that like puts folks who are in the Gen Z cohort in a bit of a pickle. And so. At the top of the show, we heard from Sydney Green. Okay, she is a member of Gen Z from Maine. She's 25 years old, so she calls herself right on the Gen Z uh, millennial cusp. Uh, she's a second-year med student, as I said, in Maine. I actually called because I had just like a recently experienced problem where I had bought a pair of jeans a cup maybe like two years ago, and I just like knelt down yesterday, and the knee just completely ripped. I haven't had these for very long. I don't do anything, you know, really crazy in them. I just wear them doing casual everyday things. And yet they are not lasting for more than a couple of years. The jeans were from American Eagle, the same brand she's worn all throughout high school and college. But she noticed the fabric wasn't as durable. And Sydney, by the way, I'm just going to put it on the side here. I recently bought a pair of flannel pants from my favorite Maine-based outdoor clothing company. And the flannel was really thin this year. Uh, it kind of was disappointing. But anyway, Sydney has to replace her jeans. She just got them and she has to replace them. And she says she feels kind of stuck. She's a student with some hefty loans, so she doesn't want to spend too much. But she also doesn't want to support the fast fashion industry and buy another pair that's going to rip. It's hard to feel like you're not part of the problem when I need another pair. How am I going to make sure that I can purchase another pair that isn't, you know, going to be overly expensive while also finding a way to make sure that they have some element of quality in them. But Sydney says she does use social media to try to stay somewhat up on trends. I've watched a lot of those, like, how to modernize your wardrobe, like, on that you see on Instagram or TikTok, where, where they're like, wear this and not that. But what matters most to me isn't really being as trendy, but trying to find clothing items that I feel comfortable in and that are, they, they aren't trendy, but they're not unfashionable. They're just somewhere in between where I just can get by and can not feel like I am on the outskirts. That's Sydney Green, an on-point listener from Maine. So Mandy, talk talk to me about um, your response to what Sydney, Sydney is saying about um, how she uses uh, discerning trends on social media. Yeah, I think uh, I can really relate to that. Um, that kind of struggle and back and forth you may be feeling. And I think a lot of people would maybe point to spending more money, right? Because if you're spending more money, you must be getting better quality. But I, I don't necessarily think that's true all the time. 
because you know, even designer and luxury fashion are cutting corners with quality as well. You buy, you know, a pair of leather shoes and you need to get them resold right away. The heel isn't stacked. It's completely hollow. And, you know, these are just examples of even luxury brands cutting corners in regard to quality. I think, I mean, I've been working in trends and I've been a trend researcher for seven years. I've seen pretty much, I've seen it all. And I've also seen the cycles come back as well. It's been, you know, interesting. You reach a certain age and then you watch things that were cool when you were a teenager that were so not cool (laughs) come back again. And I've watched this cycle happen. And I think the most important thing that folks can do is have conviction in what you're buying and what you're wearing. If you're buying things to fit into a, you know, trend, remember a lot of fast trends are a blip in time. And, you know, if you're buying something to signal that you're part of, you know, this trend, it it may go away faster than you'd like. So building confidence and conviction is really important. I mean, can it even be considered a trend when it's so short and also algorithmically amplified? Yeah. I mean, there are different, technically different words, especially like on the business side to describe these phenomenons. Fads are one, microtrends are another. It really depends. But what you see happening now is less singular items going kind of like viral and everyone buying them more of like the micro trend route. And what's happening now is really, really niche aesthetics are sort of replacing that. So like cottage core, for example, and, you know, these aesthetics will have like even smaller, um, like niches below them, kind of like an umbrella term. So that's what I've been seeing happening over the last maybe like two years, this sort of phenomenon evolving. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's a tough place to be in. And to go back to Sydney's original question, it's, it's tough with denim um, personally for me, cause I don't, I don't wear jeans. Um, but even like, if you look at Levi's, which has been a leader in denim for, you know, decades, their denim now doesn't even compare to their vintage denim. And it's hard to tell somebody, hey, maybe look into vintage denim when jeans are such a personal you know, piece of clothing. Um, yeah. The fit is really important. It's hard. It's hard to you know, try to steer somebody in that direction when the access isn't necessarily there. Yeah. And that says something about a company who gave the world the, you know, the copper rivets and jeans that were supposed to be tough enough for gold prospectors in the California mountains. Mandy Lee, stand by for just a moment. And Daniel Vermeer, we're going to want to hear a lot more from you because we are talking today about how technology, social media and capitalism are shaping our behavior and perceptions of reality This time through the question of clothing. More in a moment. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. 
Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. This is On Point. I'm Magna Chakrabarty. And today, Mandy Lee is with us. She's a freelance fashion writer and trend analyst, a content creator who runs the Old Loser in Brooklyn account on TikTok and Instagram. She's in New York. And Danielle Vermeer is also with us. She created the fashion newsletter Goodwill Hunting. It's all about secondhand clothing and thrifting and is a veteran thrifter who hasn't bought uh, new I guess, just new from the manufacturer clothes uh, in more than 11 years. And Danielle is with us from Washington. And again, we are talking about how technology, social media, and capitalism shape our behavior and our perceptions of reality. And today we're tackling that question through the issue of do Gen Z Americans even recognize what quality clothing is anymore? And if not, why not? Now, we got a lot of feedback from On Point listeners about um, clothing in general, because both Mandy, both you and Danielle uh, accurately noted that the quality of clothing, fast fashion or not, seems to have been degrading over time. So let's just listen to a couple of things that folks shared with us. Uh, this is Susan uh, Canuck. She lives in Arlington Heights, Illinois, and Illinois, excuse me, and she says she brought She bought what she thought were well-made clothes at Brooks Brothers and Eddie Bauer in the 80s and 90s. But in the past decade or so, she's noticed a big drop-off. I've had more seams give way and buttons fall off easily. The bottom seams of T-shirts seem to roll up when you wash them. And the sizing's more inconsistent as well. But my biggest problem, though, is the smell of the clothing. Manufacturers are treating the material or the finished clothing with something. I'm not sure what it is. And that's probably my main reason for returning clothing. And here is On Point listener Arthi Sullivan from Philadelphia. What I've personally noticed when I try to buy clothes in store, like things like Forever 21 or H&M, they're so much more expensive and the quality is not as good in comparison to really being able to thrift and you're able to thrift good quality clothing for a way more affordable price. We'll talk about thrifting more in a few minutes here, but here is one more listener. This is Ivan Gates from Reno, Nevada. I find a lot of brands that are mainstays in uh, American fashion, like Levi's or Pendleton or Woolrich, I find those to typically have gone down in quality over time to find myself seeking out uh, old vintage clothes because I know that even if they are, you know, 20, 30 years old, they'll still last me longer than stuff that I can go out and buy at a department store. So just a few uh, on-point listeners, they're lamenting, and I'm right there with you, about the uh, decreasing quality of all kinds of clothing. Now, Danielle Vermeer, I want to explore with you and Mandy here how to break this cycle. It seems like a very much a cycle of like hyper consumption. You talked about that, the the dopamine hit, the social feedback that people get from um, getting those new clothing, those new pieces of clothing, and then like sharing them uh, on social media. And the general 
sort of culture that surrounds people now, this seems to be a pretty strong feedback loop. Where would you try to sort of to start breaking it down? Mandy mentioned building your own confidence and conviction. And I think that's so powerful because it really does stem from that. If you have confidence in your personal style, you know what you like, you know what works for you in your unique body, then you're likely going to be less susceptible to those pressures from social media, from fast fashion to just buy, buy, buy and consume things that you might not really like and that are not going to last. So I think it starts there of figuring that out. And that can take some time and experimentation. But I think that's where the fun of fashion is. Mm-hmm. Mandy, what do you think about that? Because I am very sympathetic to the the fear and the risk that uh, Gen Zers might feel that they're taking by um, opting out of that 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 social aspect of fast or even ultra fast fashion. Yeah, definitely. I mean, of course, I totally agree with what Danielle is saying. That's sort of been my. Uh, my main advice, because this issue is so nuanced, right? Everyone has different set of circumstances that they're working against. And I think it's hard to give blanketed advice on how to break the cycle, but I do think that's an amazing place to start because another thing that, you know, I've noticed in my line of work is the cycles are getting faster. So what used to be a 20 year trend cycle has been, you know, definitely shortened. And, you know, you see trends happening so quickly, like in the blink of an eye. And I think something that may be attractive to folks who may want to try that path of, you know, just building their personal style is remember that everything comes back. So, you know, if you love ballet flats, lucky you, because they are back in fashion at the moment and they'll be back again. Everything will filter in and out. And it's a lot easier um, just to lean into what you know you like. And, you know, you're going to end up being a trendsetter at some point because things cycle so quickly. That's kind of my my thought on the matter. And the the folks that I see really taking risks and experimenting end up being trendsetters, mm-hmm. whether that's their intention or not. I see that happen so, so much on my side of the business. And when you think about it from a manufacturing standpoint and just from like a fast fashion standpoint, what do you think they're going to cut first? Do you think it's going to be the quantity of the garments they're making, the design, the price point? No, it's going to be the quality. The quality is going to be the first thing to go. And I think remembering that also might help in being able to distinguish what you like and staying away from brands that are cutting these corners so much. Yeah, it is heartening to hear you say that uh, still the uh, that sort of beautiful alchemy of human creativity is something that machines cannot recreate. So people can still start, you know, trends of their own, even if they don't mean to. But Danielle, I, I, I totally hear what Mandy's saying about um, even though trend cycles are getting shorter, or maybe because trend cycles are getting shorter, something that you already own will come back into fashion. But folks are kind of in a pickle, though, aren't they? Because of what we talked about a little earlier, that back to that quality question, the quality of the actual garments is is has diminished so significantly that they maybe won't even last until that trend comes mm-hmm. back. 
That's right. Brands just really don't make stuff like they used to. And some of the anecdotes from those listeners point to that, where brands that maybe they purchased in the 90s, 2000s, they buy those again, and they're not lasting as well. And so one recommendation I do have is if there is a style that's available secondhand, the quality is likely to be far greater than what you can buy today. And so uh, that's something that you, you don't just practice, you don't just preach that, you practice it as well. Yes, I'm going on over 11 years now of buying no newly made clothes, just thrifted, secondhand, vintage, upcycled or sewed it myself. And then in very small instances, if I can't find what I want, uh, try to support an ethical or sustainably made brand. Okay, so tell me then how has choosing that path um, had an impact on on your life? Because I know that you have this very uh, successful newsletter, Goodwill Hunting, but I keep going back to what both you and Mandy said earlier about this, you know, the cycle between um, uh, social feedback, uh, communities online, uh, trends in fashion. Stepping away from that, has that been... Has that carried any negative consequences from you, Dan- for you, Danielle? No. If anything, it's helped me feel more confident in exploring my own style. And I think as a teen now, they're being so overwhelmed with greenwashing messages on one hand or the pressure of social media on the other hand. And they are looking for a place where they can figure out their own style and build that confidence and conviction we talked about. And so that's what I'm working on now. Well, I want to actually share some thoughts from uh, some On Point listeners who are also right there with you, Danielle, in their love of thrifting. Uh, First of all, here is Zoe, an On Point listener in Felton, California, who goes thrifting two or three times a month. I don't always like buy clothes, but it kind of like depends like what's there. Um, And then I might like go to a shop and get something like once a month. And I get, like, baggy jeans or cool hoodies or any, like, type of cool, like, sweater or shirt that I find. And here is an on-point listener sharing the same love of thrifting who's in Sunset, Cal- excuse me, Sunset, Hawaii. I'm almost 75 years old, and I absolutely know the difference between shoddy work and quality work. And you just have to recognize labels, and you have to look for finished seams on the inside. If it's really high-quality cotton or silk or linen, those are going to be quality products. Rayon, polyester are horrible. You might as well wear a saran wrap. And after you thrift shop for years and years and years and are very um, savvy, you immediately, I mean, you can look even at the, the pattern, and that's also an indication of the quality of the garment. And here's one more. This is Stephanie Fonzo from New Haven, Connecticut, who says that she started shopping for clothes in thrift stores because it was better for the environment, but it had other advantages, too. As I went through thrift stores and found myself really loving the fashion from the 50s, 60s, 70s, I also found that the clothes were such high quality. You could feel in the fabrics that a lot of them are natural fabrics. A lot of them are handmade. A lot of them have labels that say that they're union made. And to me, the fact that they have lasted till now is a testament to their quality. And so I've been pretty committed to shopping secondhand for some time now, not only because it's better for the environment, but because 
but I love the fashion, and I also love the way that the clothes feel, knowing that I'm giving them a second life, and that um, they're not being made by unfair labor practices on the other side of the world. So several on-point listeners there um, and sharing their their thrifting practices. Now, uh, Mandy Lee, one thing that I want to just uh, explore as we head towards the end of the conversation here is that, you know, this isn't just like thrifting while I, I totally support it and I think it's a wonderful way to attack this problem. Um, it's also not going to be enough, right? Because... We're talking about global companies. I mean, Sheehan is, what, a $100 billion company now whose entire business model relies on continuous consumption, right? I mean, that is what they're in the business of doing. And um, and then that is being dovetailed with the absolute ubiquity of social media. So do you, do you foresee any sort of changes or pullback by... Uh, the fashion industry itself from you know, this these practices. Oh man, it's it's tough to answer this because my, you know, from what I've observed and you know experienced in the industry, luxury and fast fashion, I do not see an end to this problem in the near future, and I think the efforts of the individual are really admirable, but I think a lot of, you know, people blame individuals for this problem where, you know, if you're buying from Shein, yes, you are contributing, but that is not who is, you know, running this machine. It's so much bigger than the individual and it spans through the entire industry. It's not just a Shein problem. It's kind of an everyone at this point problem. And if you if you pick up on what the guests just now were talking about, they're, what they have in common is practice. They have put the effort and time in to identify what is good quality and what is good, what is not. And you need to have that experience for yourself. It's not something you can really, you know, watch online and know how to touch and feel and exactly what to look for in person. That is an experience that you earn almost. And I think that a lot of folks do not want to do that. Um, because again, this like instant gratification mm-hmm. that comes with buying fast fashion, even, you know, what influencers sort of push is like, you know, monkey see, monkey do, buy it on the spot, trust me. You it really does take time and effort to build those skills into how to identify clothing. And I think that practice has really been lost over the last, you know, 10, 20 years. And I just think it's so human to want to do that. So I I honestly am not sure how we get back to that, if that's even possible. I like to think I'm optimistic, but at the, you know, at the current time, I am not sure how this problem Mm. will end. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I will go so far as to say that if you feel not not you specifically Mandy or Danielle but the general you of people who are listening out there if you feel like you absolutely have to have a new shirt every few days or a new outfit every few days because you've seen it on social media then that is just proof uh 
that that technology and capitalism are indeed it's shaping our behavior, it's shaping our desires, it's shaping what we think we need to be, you know, full, whole, and complete human beings. Um, that, as both of you have said, is a very, very hard um, thing to deprogram ourselves from. There, there has to be some other source of um, emotional satisfaction or, or cultural approval that we get. So I guess I've asked this question already, but Danielle, give me another, another way to start, you know, uh, to, for people to help build that, a new culture around fashion. Mm-hmm. I think consumers, particularly younger ones, who haven't been exposed to quality fashion yet, I'm excited for when they do have that aha moment of when they can touch and feel and try on and even smell what a well-made item is. And that's likely going to be through secondhand and vintage because those clothes were built to last. Okay. Well, we also then need to like create groups or more groups that help folks go out and find that stuff because I'll admit... I, whenever I go to secondhand clothing stores, I look through all the stuff. I, I'm not sure I have the knowledge. So maybe, Danielle, i got to read your uh, newsletter. <laughs> even or we more. can go thrifting together. That's the thing that we need to do. Then we also get that social part, too. So Danielle Vermeer, uh, writer of the fashion newsletter Goodwill Hunting, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Mandy Lee, who runs the Old Loser in Brooklyn account on TikTok and Instagram. Thank you so much for being with us, Mandy. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. Point.